everyone. Welcome to episode 215 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Manchester, almost at Chicago. <laughs> Old habits. Die hard. I'm in Manchester. Not a Christmas movie. No, it is not. Don't start I'm in that. Manchester. Okay. I'm with Shane. He's on the line from Denver, Colorado. Hey, Shane. I am. Stanislav, my friend. Stanislav, do you do you hear this? Do you hear this? Click, 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 click. Shane. Shane. Tell me, how do you take your tea? So infrequently. Infrequently, actually, you know the you know the type of tea I like. It's actually an an herbal. It's an herbal supplement. Liquid herbal supplement. I think. Oh, like I mean, I think technically they do not. They're not allowed to call it tea. At least in the maybe in the UK, it's where they can't call it tea. Like the unless it comes from the province the, of tea. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just leaf yes. juice. It just doesn't have the no, same yes. ring to say we're gonna spill the liquid herbal supplement <laughs> when I call my besties. Spill the <laughs> spill some liquid herbal supplement for me, friends. Well, so so you know how celestial seasoning is based out of uh, Boulder or is it Boulder? It's like nearby, right? So the yeah. celestial seasoning, you know that. the. the the fame, the famous, the famous tea company, right? With the sleepy time bear and whatnot. He's mm-hmm. got the little nightcap. He's yeah. probably got like a candlestick. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you go, um, you go there, and I think in the states we can call it tea. And other countries are like, look, this is not tea. This is just an herbal beverage because it's like flowers and rose hips and whatnot. So that's what I, I drink, like lemon zinger. Gotcha. And raspberry zinger. Gotcha. Those are not real teas. They're just like flower concoctions. Uh, but this morning. The reason I, I did the audio glucking is because it's eight fifteen my time, mm. and I didn't I didn't sleep well, and I I have liquid caffeine in my hand that mm-hmm. I'm I made like twenty six ounces I believe, and I might drink all of it. You're also drinking out of a mug that has your name on it. Yeah, this is this is a gift of uh, Brian. If you're listening out there, I appreciate this mug you found for me at, at a thrift shop and, and sent to me. It's from the Houston Space Center, mm-hmm. which I neither of us were ever at, but it does have my name on it. Bort, Bort. Also with us, the Bort Father, Dave Harbarker. I have what I like to call. So I have a beverage here too. I like to call this in honor of today's the subject of today's episode. I call this Stanislav's Bane. Because you know their one ring is called Isildur's Bane. Really. I did not know that. Yes. No. Um, really? This is Stanislav's Bane. It is decaf iced Americano. Oh, God. Oh. Why do you do that Why? to yourself? It's, like, it's great. Mean, it's also called, what's the point? Like, <laughs> you go to the bar and you say, you go to the barista and give me, give me a what's the point? Give me a, a man grappling with his inability to deal with caffeine, caffeine suddenly. Mm. I just had some Pop-Tarts, too. It's nice. all good. It's coming up. It's all coming up, Dave. <laughs> okay, hold on. This is I. I know that we're just kind of extending this intro out a little bit. Oh, but we have lots of material for the intro here. Okay. What's your favorite pop tart? I have. There's. There are three that I want to eat. Cinnamon frosted is the best hmm. for me. Okay, that's. I. That's not one I usually eat, but I, I can definitely concede that it sounds good. I am. I am seriously a like rat. Like you know, strawberry frosted, blueberry frosted. Sure. Or s'mores. Or s'mores. Yeah, s'mores. s'mores. That's a jump, though. Because I feel like s'mores is just a whole other... That's the one where it goes from not even pretending it's not dessert. 
to just being yeah. like, this is dessert. At yeah, least when I give the... my kids strawberry frosted ones, it's like, okay, I had these when I was a kid. But when yes. you get the ones that are like snickerdoodle flavored or Reese's peanut butter cup flavored or s'mores, I'm like, okay, we're just having these. The Oreo, cookies yeah. and cream. Yeah. Well, some, okay, some um, breakfast desserts are good, like coffee and pie for breakfast. Is that not just a dessert for breakfast? True. Well, I mean, it's literally a dessert for breakfast, yes. Um, Stanislav. Shane. You're, you're now about 10 feet from the camera. It's, but I, I, and, <laughs> I prefer you say 2.5 meters, please. <laughs> <laughs> Stanislav, uh, you're about, you're about 2.33 meters away from the camera. And some, I mean, thankfully... The cord on our headsets is like 15 feet long. Yeah. What are you doing? I'm hanging my laundry, obviously. Oh my goodness. Shane, you, you, Those Europe are, doesn't the have size dryers. Of that sock. Is, that like a, is that a tiny one-year-old sock? Yeah. Aren't they cute? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I had, to, I had to manage some laundry today. And due to scheduling constraints, it just made the most sense for me to do it for the next five minutes while we get through housekeeping. Oh, this this wet? This isn't as wet as I like it to be. going to rewash that sock. You know what's nice? No back room, no room noise from laundry. Anyway, Shane, please, before this gets completely devolves, tell tell us what we're doing this week, or since Stan is busy folding laundry. Yeah, I can do that. So, this week, take... <laughs> I don't even know how to say this. I'll do it. I, our, I can do it. No, I, I, mean, no, I mean, I know how, I know how to say it. I just like I'm just I'm I have such hesitance to say it. So please, please tag in here, Stan. We're taking our first trip to the world of Arda, Shane. I think is it's that pronounced really Arda. The, like the world is called. Yeah, Middle Earth Arda. is a continent. Middle Earth yeah. is a continent. Okay. Arda is the world. Got it. Obviously. How many moons does it have? Mm. Dave, did they ever get into that in the lore? I don't know. I don't know either. But go on. I heard one. It was made of compressed powdered Gandalf. Mm. Okay. Cool. And cool, then they cool, put cool. it in their they put it in their uh, herbal beverage supplements or whatever. You guys ever try that moon juice in, into their Hobbit pipes? Yeah, we're we're not great at LOTR lore, but we are going to talk about LOTR cards from this summer's Tales of Middle Earth set. Not because it's coming out particularly soon, but we've already started getting spoilers, and we really want to talk about it conceptually. Yeah, as well as look at some of the cards that may have piqued our interest or the interest of others. So we'll chat about maybe it's potential and desired applications for modern. But then we also set aside some time at the end of the episode to actually talk about this week's release of Shadows over Innistrad Remastered on Arena, which brings Explorer one step closer to Pioneer, for some decks at least. And then maybe I'll regale you guys with more stories about appliances that don't exist in England. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, along with the, the Shadows over Innistrad stuff, I think there's a, there's a little bit kind of new stuff about arena and kind of arena in general that I you know want to revisit. We really haven't talked about arena probably like in six plus months. And there's been some, some one interesting change to like the arena economy that I think is worth analyzing and assessing. So, all right, but first do it. some housekeeping, this is N- some fast housekeeping. <clears throat> it is. Cause we have nothing to report on the Patreon front this week. That's fine. But if you want to support us on Patreon, please uh, check us out at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can join our discord server. You can get some swag. You can send us some notes there. The dive down our patreon.com slash the dive down. 
And then if you want to support us via buying merch directly from us, you can go get that rhino shirt. You can get a hat. You know, the stocking caps are attractive, even though winter is on the way out. They're pretty, pretty nice stocking caps. Uh, we have nice ha- uh, normal baseball caps as well. Check it out at thedivedown.com slash store. The store rules, by the way. Um, and then managerators.com. If you want to get better at magic, you're likely, if you have a computer... <laughs> and you want to play magic online, you're probably renting your cards or you'll want to rent your cards. Go to managerators.com. Use sign up code the dive down 10 gets you 10% off your first two months of Manitraders service. We appreciate all you all who have been using it for so long with our code, our friends, barrister and man, you can use code the dive down 2023 for 15% off your first order there. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about them later. And then if you want to get some paper cards, at Nerd Rage Gaming, you can get 8% off your order for Dive Down listeners with the code DIVE8. Done. Housekeeping. Speedy. All right. First segment. That's a wrap. All right. We're going to hop into talking about Tales of Middle Earth. Stan, yes. I think you have some thoughts about where this set is coming from. Yes. So here's the funny thing. It doesn't drop until June 23rd. Why are we talking about it so much then? Everyone's talking about the set. It's all the buzz. It's because we've already started seeing cards. It's because we cannot live without spoilers. And so spoiler <laughs> season is here three months early. There's nothing, you know, we already had spoilers from March of the Machines. That comes out in a few weeks. But we already had our first look at Tales of Middle Earth. And they had some interesting things to talk, to show. So yeah, that's why we're talking. I, I, look, also, people love Lord of the Rings. Like, this is, I think, really important to people as fans in general. And of course there's the implication of its modern implications. Yeah. The implication of its implications. You know, what's funny is my, I was talking with my dad about this and maybe you all know, but my dad first, let's call him first generation local LGS owner, perhaps maybe generation 1.5. You know, we had a store in Cleveland, Ohio on the West side of Cleveland from about 1994 to 2007 or so was the full run of the show of the uh the store Dave, did you know the cleveland state women's team was in the ncaa tournament i did I, not know that i did see that yeah yeah but go on yeah so i was my dad who has had a somewhat love-hate relationship with magic loved the game always kind of like a frustrated he was one of those really like frustrated players i don't think that he would be mad about me saying that to all our thousands of listeners who are many years younger than him, but you know, ran a store, made a place for people, loved magic, loves Lord of the Rings. This is the first time I was talking to him about it. He was like, I'm going to talk to him. He still does baseball card stuff. So he's like, I'm going to talk to my distributor and see if I can get some boxes just to open for myself of this huh. stuff. And I was like, what are you going to do with it? He's like, I don't know. It's just going to be cool to have some of it. Yeah. I feel like your dad also just kind of had a few random card products right like you said you had some of like the old star wars stuff or something like that like i have i have the decipher lord of the rings cards here yeah like i have a ring wraith and i have an aon and i have a uh uh you know what's vigo mortensen's characters (laughs) aragorn i have an aragorn card like they're all foil box toppers from the 2000 mid 2000s decipher game that came out sweet very maybe those old cards will help us evaluate these new ones too to some extent but Before we talk about actual cards, I do want to take a minute to do a temperature check. 
on where we're at with another straight to modern set on the horizon. Cause it's been almost exactly two years since MH2. Like they're, they're dropping June, two years apart. Right. You, you want to know what I like that there's not a modern horizons three this summer. Hmm. That's what, that's the main thing I like. It's just like that. I think that, you know, horizon sets clearly are designed to extract some cash from modern players and also change the format up potentially for better. I mean, I think there's a lot of arguments that, you know, the horizon set horizons two, at least uh, changed modern in significant ways, but potentially for the better. But I think like, you know, having another straight to modern set, I think the real thing people feel is trepidation, right? That's what we all felt when it was Mm -hmm. like, okay, we're going to have a Lord of the Rings theme set that is going into modern. And based on what we saw from horizons one and horizons two, okay, we're all going to be slinging uh, Gandalfs at one another. And you mean, Frodo is going to be the new Ragavan or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I do think that people jump to a lot of conclusions here, though, just from the fact that they said it was going to be released in modern. Like I've said this ever since they announced this set. There is no, they didn't, did not say this is a replacement for a modern horizon set. They did not say that this is a modern power level set. You know, I just don't think, um, you know, until we know more, we can really speculate that this is supposed to be a replacement for MH3. Trust me, MH3 will be come out at some point. Modern Horizons 2 yes. is one of the most profitable and popular products that Wizards ever put out. Yeah, and so it's really hard to imagine, actually. And once we start talking about these cards, I think we will see kind of what the power level and thematic elements we're looking at here are likely going to be for the much of the rest of the set is... I can't imagine them possibly imagining on their end that they would be able to successfully design a Horizons 3 set and a Lord of the Rings set that were both designed to sh- sh- you know, shake up modern and not have something dramatically terrible happen. Because I would 95% believe that these sets were developed in relative isolation, if not complete isolation. And mm-hmm. we know that there'd be, there'd be so much danger of, of, of a horizons level power coming out of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And I, for, for what it's worth, I don't mean MH3 is coming out now. I, I imagine it'll come out next year. Yeah. Next, next year. Yeah. Like but even that, yeah. like, I mean, even one year apart would be, would be wild. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like the the potential danger, let's. I mean, I'm just shocked that they're not continuing to try to monetize modern with that set. That they took this cycle off to do that. Anyway, Stan. Yeah, get I mean, us back the, on track. You sure. have some. You have some pointed thoughts. What, this is not on track. <laughs> I'm just trying to reel you in, buddy. Well, the thing that I keep thinking about is that MH2, as Shane sort of pointed out, essentially redefined the format for better or for worse. Yeah. And has since then made for a very consistent metagame and modern environment. Things ebb and flow, but a lot of the decks all, that like we've seen over the last two years have kind of just been quite stable. And prior to the release of MH2, there was perhaps genuine concern among players that what was once an eternal format has sort of become this rotating format due to both the addition of Modern Horizons cards in general, but also the power level of standard. Yeah. In the fire era, as we call it. So, on the one hand, Wizard seems to have solved maybe that standard problem. Like, I, I feel like standard doesn't really impact modern in general, save for a handful of good cards every year or so. There are, what, two or three all of last year that, that made the cut. But what about this new, like, straight-to-modern approach to 
changing the format, providing shakeups, um, injecting new power to old decks, or maybe powering down existing decks. And we actually ran this poll on Twitter, a very scientific poll a couple weeks ago, where we asked our followers whether they would rather get a modern shakeup from Tales of Middle-Earth, or whether they would prefer to just keep playing this post-MH2 format for another year or two. And although respondents slightly favored a shakeup, it was really narrow. 52% said that they were ready for a shakeup among 350 votes. So I guess I'm curious, like, how do we feel? Do we want a change in the format? Like, are we happy with the same, you know, 10-ish decks kind of coming and going here and there? Or do we want to see something truly fresh and, and maybe like truly metagame defining, even if it's one or two decks in general, like being added to modern? So I'm guessing that you'd rather have us answer this question in the through the lens of the Lord of the Rings set, right? Because like I think you could I think I could answer that question in a, in two different ways, I guess, which is like, do I want modern to get a shake up through standard or do like in general, or do I want modern to get a shake up through Lord of the Rings? Well, I don't think and, we're getting a standard shakeup. Like, no, but no, no. So that's what I'm saying is like, you know, would I rather see the power level of standard push that we would sort of get the the gradual development of modern that we sort of had pre MH sets, uh, or would I rather it have through supplemental sets like Horizons or Lord of the Rings? And I think Horizons has proven to be more interesting than not for the format. Like it gives us a lot to talk about. It keeps people engaged with the format, keeps me engaged with the format. But like you said, it's been almost, you know, it's basically a year and three quarters since horizons two. And we're kind of, you know, living in a fairly static environment. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the meta game breakdown we did on modern three weeks ago, say, you know, when we were looking at all those challenges, just as a reminder, the top 32 is of challenges in February it's March. I know I haven't looked recently at the same data, but you know, Murktide was 17%. Reactive Scam was 10% of that. Omnath was 6%. Creativity was 6%. Hammer Time was 5 You know, da-da-da-da-da. It's all really familiar decks. And while we do see the brewers out there innovating, you know, Spike is trying stuff. I tried some weird decks last week. Nothing is really taking a foothold and kind of taking over the format as a whole. And they're even staying in the same order almost as they have over the last couple of years. Yeah. Speaking of spike anecdotally, he did mention on stream that he was consulted on, I think just some middle earth cards in general. And though he, I'm guessing did not see the majority of the set. I, I don't know for sure, but from what he observed and what he was able to share, he made it seem that the modern format in general would be fine. And that this wasn't going to be an earth shattering set, you know, from his perspective or right. even a middle earth shattering set. Wow. <laughs> so the, I don't think I really answered your question, Stan. And my initial kind of thought when I heard about this was like, oh man, I do not care about whatever. What's the umbrella term they use for this? Like extended universes universe, beyond. Universe, yes. Universes mm -hmm. beyond. Like, I just don't care about universes beyond stuff. Like, I think it's a little weird that like, you know, magic, which is sort of a generic fantasy theme with a few continuing, you know, uh, planes and whatnot. And then as soon as I started looking at these, well, then I was also like, okay, Lord of the Rings, wow, that's like a known fantasy element that's going to like sort of infiltrate my my precious magic, the gathering, where I never really cared about the lore, honestly. But as soon as I started looking at these cards, like I, I was surprised how, how, like I was just like, I don't care. 
Like mm. these are just like they're just like these are new game pieces. They're like, just sure, magic cards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's just magic cards. Okay, cool. Like sure, it's like Frodo, it's Sam, it's uh, Gandalf and whatnot. <laughs> and may, it might be a combination of the fact that it's like okay, this is clearly not a new Ragavan. Like I'm not going to be seeing Frodo every game or at least this particular Frodo every game. Yeah. And if I was like, maybe I'd be kind of peeved, but like, I'm already just kind of like, okay, like if I see a Gandalf once every 10 games, it's like, whatever. Okay. It's Gandalf. I'm already over it. Like, mm. and it might just be the fact that like, I'm, I'm old and have better things to worry about. But like, I, I was, I think we will be fine. Although I don't know how I'll feel about that. If it's like, you know, going back to like a st- the street fighter special air, like if, if Ryu, uh, was a card that was like modern playable, and I was like, okay, you're fireballing me with Ryu. I don't know. I mean, I did have that weird moment recently where I, I opened a box of Frexia set boosters and I got a commander card out of it, and I was like, this is Asha of Sparks and Smoke. And I was like, it's a prowess commander and it does cool stuff like cheaty stuff with sorceries. And I was like, Maybe I'll make a maybe I'll make a commander deck around this. I haven't had a commander deck in a long time, and I was looking at it, and then someone in the Discord was like, "That's just Ken from the Street Fighters reskinned back into Magic," and I was like, "Uh," and then I was like, "I also hate Ken. I was not a Ken. I was a Chun Li main, you know, because oh, I don't man, really yes. know how to play fighting games. So that so Chun Li starts the kick. kick buttons, yeah. And um, but it, it did make me go, "Am I really going to do this?" But at, at any rate, just you know, funny aside there. But that I agree. Funny, but do you want a shakeup, Shane? I don't know if you answered that question. Oh. What uh, is a shakeup? Okay, okay, okay. Th- that's I, the other I wouldn't question, mind. Like. I think. Wait, I, I would like something in between, like a an old standard, like an expected sort of standard shakeup, mm-hmm. and a Modern Horizons two shakeup. And I would really actually prefer it more on like this, like extremely good standard set level like right let's say like a throne of eldraine level or like a mat uh m20. throne is maybe too much buddy throne m- is m20 maybe, okay yeah. okay well like uh after bands throne yeah let's say yeah. like let's say m20 i think m20 but, is a but, good yeah it's funny you kind of nailed exactly what i was gonna say same and to exactly be the way i was gonna describe it was let's have this be an impactful standard level set or a year of standard sets. You know, like if we yeah. look back at last year, we got Ledger Shredder, we got Fable of the Mirror Breaker, maybe one or two other cards that I'm not re- remembering right now. Yeah. And we had to wait a year for that slow drip, right? I wouldn't mind if we saw like a handful of good cards, but what MH2 did, I think, is kind of like created a lot of new synergies that support its very specific play styles. And the slow drip we got from standard doesn't really do that. Like it doesn't. Right redefine entire decks it kind of just like sometimes enhances decks so that's probably where where the three of us are at right it's just like yeah let's get some cool exciting game pieces but we don't need to open set boosters just to have like as many of these cards as possible because it's going to be like entire cycles of playables yeah to try to open a place out of ragavans or whatever or right. you know five different things that you have to have when the in the elementals basically um it does this does lead me to the question though of okay how does wizards imagine this set being played mm-hmm. if it's not if it's not standard legal and it's not really that impactful for modern hopefully right then it's sort of like, okay, is this just another really just a commander product or do in their minds, do they see building like, like I kind of wonder if they see building like an alternate 
format almost that's like play your lord of the like maybe they think people might just play lord of the rings magic and that's it like kitchen table people might just say i have three boxes of lord of the rings magic i made some decks out of it and my friends and i only play lord of the rings magic like i kind of wonder if they think that could be if i don't know it's it's a weird case well we all start as kitchen table players dave in the womb but yeah i saw it differently like i actually just kind of think it's marketing like, let's just look at the fact that our MTG worlds have, like, these fantasy, sci-fi fantasy overlaps with, which is, like, other fantasy properties in general. And our, right. our system can be modded to work with other fantasy properties. Let's try to capture a bunch of fans of Lord of the Rings that maybe haven't dipped their toe in magic yet. The way I think they were trying to do with some of the D&D sets in general, too, is, like, yeah. Yeah. we have this overlap. Why not see if we can, like, grow the fan base? Through a common love of wizards and spells and hobbitses. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it totally makes sense. So we'll I also see. Actually maybe think maybe that it is trying to get them back in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I feel like the fact that it is using such a popular property like LOTR is maybe the thing that's going to keep it from being an MA, another MH2. Because if, if it's as pop- powerful as Modern Horizons 2, like, I don't know if that's necessarily drawing in uh, new players. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree with that. This is that's actually something I said the first time we talked about this mm. set was the Lord of the Rings players are not enfranchised players, and it's probably going to have some beginner type logic to how it works, how the set works, and things like that. And so that's but that's another reason it makes me wonder if it's just like here people play play Lord of the Rings magic forever, and that's fine, you know. Okay, so that being said, um, we're about to start looking at the cards themselves, but I want to propose to you guys a new, almost like card evaluation model. Because once upon a time, we used to do all of our spoiler episodes with a quick recap of like how we look at cards. And mm-hmm. I want to propose that MH2 has changed that completely. Because some of the old uh, heuristics that we used for like one mana removal, two mana creatures, three mana walkers, like I don't think that's as relevant as it used to be. And right. in, in modern, at least, like some of the terms have changed. Yeah, it's funny. We'll go through all these that I agree with, and then none of them will apply to any of the cards in this set. Yes. So I think it's fine to say these because I agree with you, Stan, that it's changed. But we and we can come back to this and refine this over time. Yes. So, but yes, I I do think it's funny that these are the new rules of modern, and then none of these cards, not many of these cards, fit this. I would say maybe one or two fit. Right. It, but go go ahead. Well, I guess we'll we'll see about that. But um, yeah. he, here's my quick and dirty list of like how to maybe look at cards in a post MH2 world, at least in these straight to modern sets. One is cheap threats with extra abilities. So these are things like Ragavan or Esper Sentinel, something that can come down early and then offer gradual value at different stages of the game. Yeah, yeah. And by cheap, we mean like one mana. Like it's one mana or two mana max almost always in modern now for a fair for a fairly cast card. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the two mana creature has to do the same thing though. Like it has to be both good early yeah. or good late. And I think Ledger Shredder is actually a pretty good example of that where it's just like... yeah kind of relevant whenever you cast it because it can generate so much value on its own. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing here, the, the card that sort of is like the top end casting cost-wise, I think is actually Fable of the Mirror Breaker, mm-hmm. like, which is a three-mana card that generates a whole bunch of stuff uh, with extra abilities. It generates two different creatures, essentially. and But that's, you know, that's about as pricey as you can get and make it happen in modern these days, other than like Omnath. But anyway... Please you know, proceed. it's better than these these pricey cards are, are free spells. Yes. 
So Love free. In this case, I'm thinking about the Evoke Elementals, but even if they're conditional and potentially require you to two-for-one yourself, like Force of Negation and Force of Vigor fit this bill as well, I think that every free spell in MH2 actually sees play, and the Wizards design team probably learned how to make these cards relevant when they're actually printed. Um, this could also even include cascade payoffs. So long story short, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if anything is free or can be played for free as a cascade payoff, like is worth a second look. And we're probably not looking at uh, the, the force cycle from MH1 again, where it's just like, you kind of, some are good and the rest are like wholly unplayable. Right. Still annoyed by the, that design, but go on. Yeah, I'm still holding on to my force of despairs. I I think those cards. Are. <laughs> All right, next group is cheap but flexible interaction. So it doesn't just have to be one mana cards, though. Unholy heat and blacksmith skill are that, but even things like maybe counterspell or fire ice at two mana ish. We have to be able to interact somehow. We can't spend a lot of money or a lot of resources on doing that. So what do our interaction spells actually do to impact the game in more ways than one? Yeah, perfect. And then finally, cheaty payoffs. So mm-hmm. here I'm thinking of things like Archon of Cruelty and Sarah's Emissary. But this to me is actually even on the bubble a little bit. And if we start looking deeper, like we're entering the realm of very deck-specific cards and tools. Yeah, but if, yeah. we're, if we can cheat cards in in general, like what are the best things to, to do with that? And that's like the creatures that are super splashy, but probably come at a very high casting cost. Yeah, I would add one sort of corollary to this one is that I don't think it's just about casting cost. Like, I don't think it's just about cheating into play. There are other ways to cheat things, like blinking them or Mm -hmm. removing them to your hand over, returning them to your hand over again, over and over again, and recasting. And it's important. This is this is a thing that I think makes sense. Like you said, it's about specific cards and tools but there are like reasonable tools to do several different moving cards from zone to zone cheating things in magic in modern particular right now and i I would think that this payoffs idea should apply to any of that zone moving whether it's deck to battlefield battlefield to hand graveyard to battlefield exile to battlefield like stuff like that i think should all be in that space you like calder complete is like another Cheaty payoff for right. Stoneforge. Where do you put uh, Murktide in this? Is that a cheaty payoff or is that a cheap threat? Or is it both? Because it has Delph. I kind of just think that's a cheap threat. Cheap threat. I would call that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's a cost-reduced cheap threat, right? It's just a two-mana 8-8 flyer. I, I think Shane, Delph great point. It, it doesn't have to be... It doesn't have to be one of these things any of these the better the best cards are probably more than one of these things potentially like so that's another thing to keep an eye on is that something that's really good in one of these categories can be enough but if it's two of these things even better bob's your uncle bob's your uncle your uncle's name is chris <laughs> chris is chris is your uncle my my uncle's name is bill <laughs> my uncle's name is yuri yuri yuri's one, your uncle this one goes no, out I, to all the uncles out there yeah that's right I mean, it is a Lord of the Rings set, so this has big uncle energy for sure. Does it not? All right, let's get into this. Let's talk to cards. Let's talk about cards. Um, I, I love the fact... I have no kids, right? And my, my nephew's like 11 now, and I am definitely like the weird, nerdy uncle to him, where it's just like, I know all about the video games he's playing. Like, yeah. he, he never he never trusts me. He's always like, no, the Xbox X came out before the Xbox S. And I'm like, my friend, let's go to Wikipedia. Let's go. <laughs> Let me show you 
what you're going to see happen, have happen in your life over and over and over again. <laughs> Let me show you how I interact with all of my friends. Oh, now gosh. I'm going to do that to you. Don't even get me started about the Stevie Wonder discussion we had yesterday on Discord. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. Dave, I believe if when I fall in love yeah, with this you, time, it'll be forever. That's right. That's right. They closed out a classic movie. Okay, so if we're going to talk about Lord of the Rings, let's talk about like the Lord of the Ring. Yeah, this is the Ring cards. of the Lords more so, yeah. right? Like this is the most card. This, this is, is the, the one most interesting ring. card. Shane, the read this card. The One Ring legendary artifact costs you four four mana. You know any any freaking color you want, go for it. Um, it's indestructible. When an ETBs, if you cast it. You gain protection from everything until your next turn, even outside of the game. You're you're shielded from taunts, Tax from collectors. bad feelings. Yeah, yeah. At the at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life for each burden counter on the one ring. Tap, put a burden counter on the one ring, then draw a card for each burden counter on the one ring. That's a uh, logarithmic scaling, I believe, or is that geometric? That would be geometric uh, scaling, my friend. No, log- I want logarithmic. Okay. Uh, so you want okay. one, two, four, eight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is uh yeah, that's the card. That's the so card. So first first thing about this card, yes, we know that there's the one of one serialized thing. I don't think we have to get deep into it. I I do think it's a cool thing. Yeah, it's annoying that Magic does these super high end collectible stuff where that we're experimenting around with, but also if they're gonna do it, it's the most thematic thing possible to have one of these cards floating around with alternate art with serialized one one out of one. That's just funny and interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's I think it's cool, honestly. Like at this point, it's just like it doesn't it if it impacted anyone's actual ability to play the game. Yeah, right. Like that's if they had like you know that's one thing that people say is sketch about uh, Flesh and Blood is the legendary uh, equipment cards that are essential for most classes of character. We have like at least one legendary, and there's like one in every four boxes. Do you right. know what I mean? Or something like that. And that's like, that's a chase card that does impact you. This does not impact you. Yeah. So this is going to impact me when that. I, when I open it in the target collector's booster and sell it to Logan Paul for a million dollars. They don't have target in the UK. Yeah. And they don't, don't sell magic cards like anywhere. It sucks. Yeah. Just stores. Yeah. Just, just they call it archery. <laughs> um, I will say it was funny. I had to explain to my dad, coming back to my dad plus Lord of the Rings and magic. I was explaining to him yesterday that the serialized one does not come in the regular boxes. It only comes in the collector boosters. And he was like, well, how much are those? And I was like, they're like $400 a box. And he buys those crazy baseball cards that are like two packs in a box for like, you know, tops black chrome or what i don't know what they are and he's like i'm not touching he's like i'm not touching those forget it he's like i just want some of the normal cards i'm like all right man cool anyway he says that now so we all kind of looked at this card and sort of i think everybody kind of dis many people dismiss this card when they read it right they're like it's four mana mm-hmm. i don't think that i dismissed it you didn't i was i was compelled by it it intrigues you me were. yes it, it intrigues me. Yeah, but I feel it's, the weight of the yes, burden. It's it's the one ring, man. Of course, it intrigues you. That's its whole deal. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That first line of text is really tough to grok. Where what, legendary protect- artifact? Well, no, the fact yes. that it gives you protection from everything until your next turn. You know, yeah. that's interesting because like there may be, and 
a critical application for that, but it's hard to understand like where you would want to use that when oh. when you would want to use that, right? Always, you always want to use it. Yeah, you just, just always like, want it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's a fog to buy you some time in a controlling deck, you know? But yeah, exactly. But like, that doesn't do anything if if your opponent has no creatures on the board and you're ahead. Like that line of text does nothing if you're ahead. Yeah, but it's it's insurance. It's, it's it's a good floor for sure. Like if you're ahead, you stay ahead. Yeah. If you're behind, you catch up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I'll say is that this is four mana draw card, which is bad rate, but <laughs> it sticks around. You just get to keep drawing more cards. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, it's four mana draw three cards, and you only take one life in that cycle. Yes. So if you get this plate, if you cast this card. You tap it immediately, you draw a card. You have yes. protection from everything. You go back to your turn. You take one damage from the burden counter, counter on it. You tap it again, add a burden counter to it, draw th- two more cards. You've drawn three cards for four mana and fogged. At that point, it only paid one life. Aren't you paying two life? No, because at the beginning of your upkeep, you use one life for each burden counter on it. So during your upkeep, there's only one burden counter on it from the previous turn. Ah, uh, so you tap it. you tap it during your upkeep? No, you don't even have to do that. You just you you tap it on the first oh, turn. That's it's in right. Play, I see. It gets I see. A yeah, yeah. The, bur- the burden counters only trigger on upkeep. They lag. Yeah, yeah, they're behind. So you get you get three cards for four mana and a fog off of this card. I think. See, this is another one that for me. All right. So you guys didn't dismiss it. Whatever. When I read this, I was like, "That's a lot of text." Yeah. I was like, "I don't know." Cards cards that are good in Magic don't have that much text on them. By the way, that's extremely wrong. One metric we should add to your thing is how many words are on <laughs> yes. the card versus what's, how much the, how much casting. Co- it's like a it's like what's a word the point count. size of the font. Yeah, point size of the font and like word count per mat, per mana value should be on your metric stand because there are so many cards that have a ton of ton of stuff for at any rate but this card i think that that loop you know i saw some people on twitter i think i was looking for this tweet i thought it was andrea mangucci but then i couldn't find who said it was said that this is the best teferi five in modern so it's like the top end of a control deck that can catch you back up in a game give you a little bit of of interaction and I think also this card is abusable in the sense that if you look at ways to bounce this to your hand and replay it, you can just fog someone over and over and over and over and over again and reset the number of burden counters on the card. Yeah. So sure, you might just be drawing three cards at a clip for one for one life and then rebouncing it or something like that. But if you have an every other turn cycle where you have something like Teferi 3 in play or you're drawing to other cards that bounce this card and your, your plan is just to cast the one ring over and over and over again, I actually think that there are decks that potentially go with that as an end game you know stuff with urza comes to mind you can cat you can mm. Odawara it you can cast paradoxical outcome which is a card that has made some splashes in vintage occasionally with zero mana casting cost artifacts you can cast retract are you guys familiar with the card retract retract is a one mana return all artifacts you control to their owners hands it's a card that's in dark steel that's been on the edge of like modern playability as a combo piece for a long time. And, um, you know, then I was started thinking about this more and I was like, maybe this could go with Urza, like the, you know, high, you know, Urza four that we all hate. Uh, Lord high artificer, Lord high artificer. That's what it's called. So like, I, I kind of was just like, wow, there's a lot of stuff you can do with this card when you really start looking at it. I think. 
Yeah, I mean, as much as I look at stuff where it's like, hey, I'm drawing cards to be a potential trap, like this draws a lot of cards. The the thing that you really have to be careful about, of course, is I think kind of even going back to what Stan was saying, it's like, if I'm behind, or if, if I'm ahead, sure, this keeps me ahead. If I'm behind, this really depends on how far behind I am, because like this will eat into your life. Like this mm-hmm. isn't like kind of a, it's not a dark confidant thing. Yeah. Not if you don't care about drawing cards with it. Like if you need to stabilize and you have oh, your engine point. to yeah. recast it up, you don't have to tap it. You just yeah, it's not, it's, yeah. It's not like it's there's no upkeep. I right. mean, I guess, I guess I mean there is, there is if you use it like once or twice, then you're eating like two, you know, two life per upkeep, and that Correct. will add up if you're not drawing into your bounce. You're drawing into like maybe some life gain or something like that, yeah. right? So I think you do have to build around it more than just be like, hey, this is a really awesome divination or something like that, or a, a good enough divination type thing, right? So yeah. It, you is can even this... War of Invention this thing to search. You could have it as a one of in a deck with War of Invention, yeah, search it yeah, up, yeah. and then bounce it to your hand. Like you don't even, it's true, you don't get the fog from worrying it, but then you can return it to your hand and recast it. Then you get the fog. You know, like, I don't know. I think the more I look at it, the more I think it's pretty powerful, even for modern. What's that four mana blue instant that look at the top four, draw, and then it has flashback? You know what I'm talking about? Flashback. Oh, me- like the memory. Oh, one? memory deluge. <laughs> memory deluge. So, like, that's where this is on the curve. That's instant right. speed. Yes, but we keep talking about like this being maybe a control tool or potentially a combo tool, which I agree. Like, I think it has to be in one of those car- decks that like don't really care about life total as much and-, and would value like having access to as many cards as possible. So, I wonder if if that's sort of the spot that we're looking at putting something like this, since this will ultimately draw more cards and it's probably not going anywhere because it's also indestructible. And yeah, I, I, I just can't think of, I'm sure they exist. I can't think of any cards that people are playing that are going to like exile an artifact. No, I mean, prismatic <laughs> ending for four, you yeah. know, I mean, leyline binding, right. You can leyline binding. Yes. Yeah, that, right. That, yeah. That's the one. Yeah. So there's some stuff that happens there, but I, I don't I mean, know. It's good. It's good to have some interaction for almost every permanent. For right. sure. For sure. But I don't know, this this card, I, I definitely think as I looked at this, it became clear to me, like, this card is probably the best card that we saw. And I actually would be pretty happy if this was the best modern card that came out of the set, in a way. Yeah, like, for sure. Like, this power level seems okay to me, even for something as iconic as Isildur's Bane. But, anyway. Dave, if I, if, if I open, if I open the, the one of a kind, mm-hmm. I'll, give, I'll give it to you. Oh so really? That, so you so that you can play it. That's nice. Don't, e- yeah, don't, we'll just... don't even don't even slab it. Single sleeve. What if what a flex <laughs> that would be to just be like I'm going to play it? Yeah. Anyway, it, yeah, it's an interesting card. I think it has some play. That's probably the best card we've seen so far. But again, we probably have what 200 more cards. How big is a set? Do we know I, how big the set is? It's normal size. I think it's, it's like 240 cards or something. I, yeah. They're usually three or three fifty. I think we've we've seen like twelve. So let's get yeah. let's get through these twelve. Yeah. So I'm looking at my copy of the dive down from Ixalan. There were 279 cards in that set. So, jeez. Yeah. So we're looking around 300. That's so many hobbits. Speaking of, we haven't we haven't seen any elves. We haven't even seen any dwarves. We've seen, we've seen an elf. We haven't okay. seen dwarves yet. Yeah. I hope the dwarves look like Dave, and the elves mm-hmm. look like oh. me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about hobbitses. And the hobbitses look like me. 
filthy, <laughs> filthy Hobbit says. We saw, we got Frodo, Sauron's bane, Sauron's bane, mm-hmm. single white mana for a legendary halfling citizen. Couldn't make Hobbit a creature type, but they are halflings, I guess. And this is a figure of destiny. So it's got uh, Orzov mana, Orzov hybrid mana, Orzov Orzov. If Frodo is a citizen, it becomes a halfling scout with base power and toughness 2-3 and lifelink. Oh, he comes down as a 1-2. Then you can pay black, black, black. Or or one half because of how Google always makes one twos. <sighs> right, right. I hate that. Yeah, so black, black, black. If Frodo is a scout, it becomes a halfling rogue with whenever this creature deals damage to a player. That player loses the game if the ring has tempted you four or more times this game. Otherwise, the ring tempts you. Okay, and tempts you means you, you, the controller of Frodo, correct? correct. Yeah, okay. as, as far as we so know. As far as we know, yeah. yeah. So you, so if you want to like win the game through a way that will likely never happen, you want to tempt yourself four or more times and then uh, hit them with a leveled up Frodo. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I'm I'm not as sure about that shame where you're kind of like it will likely never happen. Like if you so let's look at Frodo's best friend also right now. Frodo's best friend is Gollum, patient plotter, which is a uh colorless lore. black maybe i guess uh, in kind my, of in the lore in, in I mean, my lore i mean they spent a lot of time towers together. hanging out right yeah they spent a lot of time together uh legendary creature halfling horror it's a three one when it leaves the battlefield the ring tempts you and then if you pay black sacrifice a creature you return golem from your graveyard to your hand so this is expensive but i feel like there's a clear like engine set up between these two cards i it's very expensive for modern but the idea that you kill Gollum a bunch of times or you know it only says leaves the battlefield so you could ephemerate Gollum to have him leave the battlefield come back leave the battlefield come back he tempts your opponent a bunch of times and then you sneak in and hit with frodo one time you know i don't think that it's about frodo hitting to trigger the temps i think it's possible that there are lots of ways that you get tempted by the ring and then you knock in with frodo one time and win the game now is that a modern thing i have serious doubts about it but i do think it's not going to be that hard to be tempted four times in a game whatever that means samwise ganji also sort of fits into this paradigm yeah our our third friend in the throuple samwise the stout-hearted one in a white for a halfling peasant with flash he's a two-one and when he enters the battlefield, choose up to one target permanent card in your graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this turn, return it to your hand, and then the ring tempts you. Yeah. Can we talk about him being a halfling peasant? And maybe I didn't pick up on this in the movies, but I didn't really realize that there was like such significant like classism going on between <laughs> Sam and Frodo. Like I didn't realize that like someone was like, Yeah, Sam's his gardener. And I was like, What? I thought they were just like buddies. Like, I they thought just they like, were just buddies too. Yeah, I thought yeah. they were just like friends. I didn't realize like that Sam is like his servant. I guess he calls him Master Frodo, which like I thought he was just that's just kind of like a term of endearment, like Master Dave. Master, Master Shane. Frodo. What's up, Master Shane? Master Shake. I thought he was like Master Shake. Yeah. Um, but I don't. Yes, but by the way, it does play into it because if Frodo dies, mm-hmm. you get to bring <laughs> you get mm-hmm. to bring him back with Sam. If yeah. Gollum, I mean that all thematically makes a lot of sense, right? Like Sam is always there to like help protect them. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, the tricky thing is they're all legendaries, so like they suck in multiples, but maybe if you play legends into one another and they die, like that can sort of play into the plan in a weird yeah. way. Uh, bringing back Frodo and then having to like do the whole song and dance of leveling up again actually sounds like a real pain in the butt. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, Figure Destiny is not an easy card to use. And in modern, those kinds of cards have become less useful. There are a lot of good Figure Destiny style cards floating around in modern, whether it's, you know, the Obzon one from way back in the day to the original one. To, there's a lot of those around. Um, so I don't know if it's really possible, but my only point was I don't think it's going to be that hard to get tempted four times in a game. And if there are benefits for that, maybe that's good maybe it's bad i don't know but um we'll see i'm usually I, tempted to concede four times each time so i also wouldn't uh, mind if like the only cards that lead to temptation are like this and the unforeseen the, the un the, the not yet spoiled but probably coming boromir card like yeah you know what i mean like only people who've actually interacted with the ring in the lore by the way i haven't read the books i've only seen the movies but i have seen the extended cuts yeah I'm with you there too. By the way, I, I, I I'm gonna real. I'm gonna say this quietly because it's really gonna make some people mad. I couldn't make it through the books. I tried a couple times too. Yeah, it's, it's like the Bible where he's like in like you know another Seth book I begat, can't get through. <laughs> Seth begat Shane, and it's like man, I don't want to read all that. Yeah, I, 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 I always trail me. off sometime in Two Towers. I really enjoyed reading The Hobbit recently with my kids. Maybe we'll do Lord of the Rings at some point. They really, they do want to do Lord of the Rings at some point in the future. So I'll probably read it with them over the course of many nights coming up soon. But, um, like every time R. I show R. them talking about food. Yeah. Every time I show them Lord of the Rings, cause I have, I have a volume that's just all the books in one book. And I'm like, here's, here's Lord of the Rings. Let me know when you guys want to read it. It's like, poof, it's like 1200 pages. Okay. So those are, I think maybe the, the cards that, we certainly wanted to talk about, for for lore reasons, there are, of course, other flavorful cards and beloved characters that we have seen, such as Gandalf, such as Tom Bombadil, that haven't really jumped out to us. So we're just going to skip them for now. I mean, I just I do want to say I'm glad Gandalf is not like some some busted card. Yeah. It's, it's nice but that we'll Gandalf see. is like a goofy, goofy potential playable. Yeah, we'll see, right. we'll see what happens with Gandalf the White, though. Yes, yeah. that's I mean, that's when he got like ripped, right? Like he came back yeah. and like you know flexed, shirt busted open. Yep. Yeah. So we do have two cards we want to talk about. Lightning one is super weird. Nipples. One is super weird. I'm gonna let Stan talk about that one, and then one is a pet card that I want to talk about because I think it's interesting. We're gonna do it fast, Stan. All right, let's talk about reprieve. Yeah, one in a white instant. Return target spell to its owner's hand. Draw a card. This reminds me of something. This reminds me of something that I used to love and someone that I used to know. Except it's better. But it's probably even better. Yeah. Weirdly. So this is the white remand. And the reason why people are saying that it might be clamoring for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. I know Shane has. Because it doesn't actually counter spells. It just returns them to their owner's hand. Which... In, in actual application means like you can get around something like Cavern of Souls. You can get around something like Supreme Verdict and you don't have to play blue for this effect anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Just a note. So there's cards that have been templated like this in blue, right? Unsubstantiate says return spell to hand. <laughs> but the thing that always matters with this card is it says draw a card on it. That's the thing yes. that always matters here. Yes. Yeah, And I, I think the initial reaction was actually the most excited among players. 
like th- this was the card that got players most excited whereas like the ring got like magic fans excited this is where yeah. people start talking about like how am i putting this in my deck i think people still have fond memories of playing remand but maybe they recognize the fact that like returning a spell is different and in some cases better than targeting a spell yeah i mean here, here's the thing I'll, I'll let you go real quick i love cards like this i've i famously once traded a force of wills for a set of remand so like i did the a bad thing yeah, yeah. um the <laughs> famously famously i've talked about it several times the i don't think this card is going to see play i don't know where this card is going to see play because in modern what deck that wants this effect wouldn't have already been trying remand out anyway i mean the corner case of it being good against cavernous souls is a thing but it's not like a huge thing so i i don't know i don't see this having a home i could be wrong of course color shifts matter but i don't know what do you think the only thing that i'm considering is that this can maybe help support like certain combo strategies that don't want to play white or that don't want to play blue so like maybe something in mardu or white black or or even white green with like devoted druid like i'm thinking about like Various combos, Druid one, Creativity being another, maybe something else that I'm overlooking that could use a little bit of interaction to protect their spells. Yeah. Um, as like a nice way to like have to reduce the amount of splashing you have to do while still having like uh, a powerful and flexible effect that's relatively cheap and also draws you a card. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. I, I I think it's definitely possible. I'm I'm a little I I mostly feel like modern has gotten so mana efficient over the last few years that I don't I think you're trading down on mana on this enough times and many times your opponent might be able to just recast the spell again, which is the worst thing that can happen from remand. Right? It's like you remand it back to their hand and then they just cast it again. So I I don't know. I, right. I don't know. But we'll and, see. and honestly, like that's the only reason why I'm thinking about this less as a, like a counter spell to interact with like your opponents on tempo and more about a way to interact with your own stuff and like oh, yeah. maybe try to regain some tempo that way. I got you. Yeah, like, okay. like the old, okay. like the old store store move of like remanding yep. a grape shot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's nice to be able to remand a uh, primeval Titan through cavern souls. Like that's always an A plus move, but I don't know if that's enough for this card to get play. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Okay, I had one card I wanted to talk about, mostly oh. because I'm curious about the cycle, and that's Mount Doom. Mount Doom is a legendary land. It taps to pay one life to add black or red. Okay, so it's a pain land cycle with no colorless bailout. And it says, 1BR tap, Mount Doom deals one damage to each opponent. And then the other mode is 5BR tap, sacrifice Mount Doom and a legendary artifact choose up to two creatures then destroy the rest activate only as a sorcery the only reason i think this is interesting one is it'll be interesting if we get a pain land cycle i think a lot of people were hoping for maybe the rest of the horizon lands mm-hmm. in this set i think that this card means no that's probably right. not going to happen we do have the shire which is another kind of like location based card completely different mechanics though so I don't know. I w- it makes me wonder if there's going to be a cycle of allied pain lands that have additional abilities like this does, for one thing. The other thing is, I don't think we've ever seen a wrath on a land. And even though it's a really expensive wrath and it has a really high bar to use it, the idea of having a deck where you can maybe slot in and just have a wrath that's in your land slot is pretty interesting, at least worth a glance, even though modern's not really about wraths anymore. No. Hmm. But if it doesn't cost you a card slot to do it, maybe it's usable in that way. I don't know. 
Do you think I, you've ever seen a wrath on a land? I don't think I have. No, I don't think so either. And if I did, it's probably equally as expensive. Yeah. I, so, legendary artifacts. Yeah. Like, the ring, Zabaz. <laughs> yeah. Zabaz. 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 We're always uh, talking Oz- about him. The Ozolith, isn't that a legend too? Yeah. I think the only way I think this legitimately sees any play is like if you want the ability to deal damage to yourself and deal damage to your opponent that like then triggers other cards. And we know that that's probably unlikely to be modern power level where it's like, yeah. Hey, if you dealt damage, you get to do X, Y, and Z or cast this for cheaper. And I think it's cool that you have like the ability to always hit yourself like a pain land, but then always hit your opponent, like some kind of like, you know, like, like your sort of reverse Grove of the burn willows type thing or whatever, where it's like, yeah. you know, I'm, it's, it's nice to, those abilities have seen play, but I don't I have mostly, any idea what this goes into. Yeah. I mostly wanted to mention because of the land cycle thing, but maybe it's not part of a cycle. Maybe it's just Mount Doom and that's what it is. Yeah. People used to play Nurturing Peatland and the Orzov version of that card in Death Shadow, Shadow decks, Yeah, even though they were never on color. So maybe now we're, we're a little bit closer to like a Death Shadow mana base that can deal damage to you on demand. Yeah, we'll Man, see. You I don't, I don't know. Shadow. Yeah, it's still, you know, it's the 20th best deck or whatever in modern. Anyway, I think that's enough for Lord of the Rings right now. We got some stuff to talk about with old other old card with old cards now coming to arena. Uh so we're going to talk about Shadows over Innistrad Remastered. Stay with us. You know what I miss about America is getting samples of Barrister and Man in the mail when I least expect it. That's what I'm, that's what I'm smelling right now. Me too. I got two shaving soap samples this week from Will and the team at Barrister Man. I got Rhapsody and Red Letter Day. Big same. Yeah, their uh, anniversary celebratory fragrance for their upcoming 10-year anniversary. Let's start with Red Letter Day. I'm smelling it right now. Shane, you're smelling it right now? What do you think? I like it. So this is like... Big, big cedar energy, like cedar, sandalwood, spiciness, like probably, you know, some, probably some bergamot. It's gotta be some bergamot. Oh, returning guest host, bergamot is here again. You never leave home without a pocket full of bergamot. Yeah. That's my favorite Spin Doctors album. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically kind of like a a spicy, citrusy, woody smell to me. What are you getting out of it, Dave? No, same, same exact thing. I think that their description of how it smells, that it's uh, sandalwood, plus uh, bergamot, plus, I'm looking at the description right now. You had it in front of you. Oh, it is vanilla, bergamot, cedar, sandalwood, leather. And they say cedar twice in their product copy, Will. You might want to fix that. But um, yeah, <laughs> I think that's exactly what it is. A double cedar. Okay. Now, now I'm opening Rhapsody. Yeah. I've got the Rhapsody open. And this is like, last night when I opened it, because I was like, hey, I'm going to try to prep for this. I was like, these smell pretty similar. But then now in the in the separation of time and these two products, they smell really different. Like this is this is like way more floral spice to me. Actually, Will's description of Rhapsody, which is an homage to a fragrance called New York from the eighties, from the house oh, of Nikolai. I've never smelled that. Even though I myself am from the eighties. Yeah. Well, we did, we weren't into fragrances in the eighties. <laughs> 
they it incorporates the scent of pear blossoms in the spirit of this the title new york i'm reading the product copy here which bloom in central park in the springtime and have a famously pungent odor into citrus floral spice structure it's all about the beauty of spring yeah this is good it's definitely good i like this um yeah, I like both of these a lot. Like, I'm hyped to use these. Like, I, this is the kind of thing where it's like, I wish I shaved more because yeah. I, it takes me so long to go through any of the shaving soaps and the samples. And so it's just like, man, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna shave this beard off so I can use more Burris Man products. Yeah. And well, cue these up for spring use because that is the season they are for. So yeah, if you want to check out Barris Man products, if you want to check out these new fragrances of Rhapsody and Red Letter Day, I think they come in more than just the shaving soaps, of course, if you're not a shaver. Uh, and you can use code THEDIVEDOWN2023 for 15% off your order, your first order over at Barris Man, uh, all kinds of uh, personal grooming products. And that gets you, like I said, 50% off your order. Let's Will and the team know that you came to them through the dive down. We appreciate you using the code and we appreciate, Will, you sending us these samples and keeping us looking and smelling good. Dave Stanislav. Shane. It, it only took three years, but we're getting another remastered set on Arena. Is that when the last one came out three oh years ago? Oh my gosh! Ago? Okay, like so. This I really hope this is accurate because this is from like that M, you know the MTG Wiki site that I get right. a surprising amount of information from. So both Ammon Cat and Kaladesh Remastered came out in 2020, Oof. according to that site, and then we got nothing since then. I don't know what happened in 2020 that would have impacted the workflow of these remastered sets. I mean, nothing, <laughs> nothing weird happened then, but. Shadows over Innistrad Remastered is coming out on March 21st, so it's available by the time you're listening to this episode. These remastered sets on Arena, at least, combine have combined, historically at least, kind of like a block of cards into a single set of cards. And they kind of you know, have a focus of limited. In this, it has, you know, of course, a focus on historic and developing Pioneer on Arena. So this is going to have 302 cards, which includes 15 lands. They leave out 129 cards from Shadows Over Innistrad. They leave out 85 cards from Eldritch Moon. And I'll list all of those now. (laughs) Interesting here, they also add 81 cards from the original Innistrad block that will be in the packs and be part of the limited environment, but of course aren't going to be added to Explorer because that tries to emulate Pioneer. And unfortunately, Innistrad's not in Pioneer. And... There's a bunch of like rarity shifts that won't impact constructed, but maybe they'll save you a wild card here and there. But more importantly for us, this will move Explorer ever closer to matching Pioneer. So what we thought we'd do today is kind of go over what are considered or what we think are the important cards from this release and where they might see some play. Because you know, this is not just to fill content. We're already at an hour 10 on my clock of the recording, which is fine for me to stop. But it it's it's good for us to pay attention to what's going on Arena because it is a way that a lot of people engage with Magic. And we think Pioneer is a pretty good format. So the more we can you know, just monitor the progress we have towards actually playing Pioneer on Arena, I think it's just kind of a good idea for ourselves and for the listeners just to be like, oh, hey, like I can I can play X, Y, and Z on, on Arena right now. We'll get into kind of that a little bit later, like what decks this gets us closer to or entirely into, because I think that's pretty exciting. 
So I want to start with the cards. Let's 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 talk about these cards. I don't. We're not going to go. We're not going to. We're not going to read these cards name like uh stats. We're not going to go into that level of detail. I think we'll just kind of yeah. like be like, here's the card. Here's where we think it might see some play, uh, and just blow through these. So let's just start with colorless. And the only I think the the best card here is Emrakul, the Promised End, which doesn't mm. really see play in Pioneer, but has appeared in some things like the big mono white Devotion decks. Uh, and I think this is just kind of an interesting long-term option to have in the format. Do you know what I mean? And there's mm-hmm. things like Decimator of the Provinces is in here as well, which is, has seen play in kind of like those dredgeless dredge decks, giving you kind of like sort of an overrunny type effect. So I think it's just it's good to have those options for, I think, random play or kind of you know cheeky meme-type decks like dredgeless dredge kind of is, although that has one events, uh, especially in Japan. Yeah, I mean, Emrakul is always going to be a good top end card to keep an eye on Pioneer. It shows up in random places, so um, yeah, you know. All right, I'll, I'll get us through. I'll, I'll just take us through white, and someone else can tag into blue. Let's just do it the easy way. Archangel Avison doesn't really see play. Has been in Azorius control lists here and there. Blue white flash is one of the best decks oh, at the beginning of Pioneer. Not was not it, at this point, but man, it, was could, that, it could come back. Wow, was that was that in Pioneer? Yeah, it was it was uh, before the Smuggler's Copter ban. Oh yes, 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 yes. We've got Griff's Boon. Uh, Aura's decks get a little boost here. Unfortunately, there's still no Glade Cover Scout for uh, Selesnya Auras, but Griff's Boon is a good addition to the format. Mm-hmm. We've got Selfless Spirit, uh, an essential piece for Spirit's decks for years now. So this is really good. We'll talk more about Spirits in a bit. Yeah, not just Spirits. It gives all creatures indestructible all creatures great and small yes, yes. It, you're right i mean it does it does go into random decks sometimes we're just like oh okay let's throw a self spirit in here protect from wrath sensing things like that we've got sigarda's aid getting yeah. us closer to pioneer hammer a little bit more on the status of pioneer hammer later and thalia heretic cathar which does see some play in some uh, mono white humans decks and other humans decks yeah. So cool. There's yeah. there's white. Anything that you all are particularly interested in? Spirit's cool. Yeah. I, think, I was going to yeah. say, does selfless spirit appear in the sideboard of your spirits builds these days or nah? Um, it doesn't see a lot of play from what the the list that I've been paying attention to, but um, I've been seeing it actually pop up in Xbox Greg's elves sideboards. So Ooh, that's what sort of reminded me that it has utility in creature decks in general. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like Sigarda's Aid being here. It's a card that's essential. I think it's an important card from this format. So I think just it being around is cool. The, meaning Shadows of our Innistrad form block, like not meaning Pioneer yet. I think someday it might be something in Pioneer, but we'll see. Let's talk about blue. There were four cards from in blue and two in particular super cards that I really like. And then a couple of other ones. So there's Invasive Surgery. That's the instant. That's a counter-target sorcery spell. This is a card that gets sees play in um, in sideboards. You know, if you have Delirium, it does like a surgical extraction effect on the sorcery that you counter with it. And so that's big against, often against creativity, against other decks that have giant sorceries. It gets played in Phoenix somewhat frequently, but there's always other places. So it's a good sideboard card that wasn't here before. There's two cards for Phoenix that I think fall into this for sure. One is Pieces of the Puzzle, a card that I don't think I ever really saw becoming a great card. And then over time, it became very clear how good it is. And in Pioneer Phoenix, it's 
pretty much essential for that deck and it's a great engine piece for that and then also thing in the ice which is a card we've been sitting kind of waiting for a while to come to arena that does really important things occasionally it's played as a number you know some number in phoenix as many as three or four sometimes other times it's not even in the deck but this also opens your kind of like phoenix list phoenix style deck so your is it mid-range is it control decks with a great payoff that maybe they didn't have access to before thing of the ice is another way that that whole deck can go to build around instead of phoenix basically um and then you have pour over the pages which is important to lotus field yeah any of these cards stan are you excited to play thing of the ice on arena um maybe for the point you made about like playing it in blue-ish controlling decks like that could be cool Bear in mind, this is also going into Historic, which is not a format we really care about anymore because of alchemy, but Historic has Faithless Looting. So now you can play Isa Phoenix with Thing in the Ice and Faithless Looting again, and that's yeah, kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, All right, we'll do Black 2. Collected Brutality is in this is in this set uh used to be a super important sideboard card in modern and also sometimes in pioneer doesn't see as much play as it used to for some reason but you know i think that it's a good card that could come back probably most of the reason that this doesn't see play is because there is no good aggro red deck in in pioneer yes, so not preventing it with collective brutality yeah so i think if that happens it might come back as a uh, as a sideboard card haunted dead you know, that's a card that's used in Dredgeless Dredge, and it has that ability to, you know, go in your graveyard and make a token, that whole thing. Liliana, the Last Hope. It's a good Planeswalker. Used to see a lot of play. I thought it would be a powerful card in Pioneer at this point, since it's, it's not really played in Modern anymore. But it's a good card that we should keep our eyes on. Uh, and that's kind of it for Black. Yeah, The, wow. the thing I, I just want to mention about Black in general here is that in playing a little bit of Explorer the last week or two... I've been seeing a lot of people mess around with Mono Black Devotion because it has Gary and Fraction Obliterator and Nykthos. Hmm. And um, Liliana of the Veil can fit into that. Lily the Last Hope can fit into that. And I wonder if just like cards with as many black pips as possible could be sneaky good in Explorer specifically. Hmm. Interesting. I, it feels to me it's that it, like if that deck was good, it could be good in regular Pioneer because if you're in regular Pioneer, you can play with uh, Pack Rat. But anyway, another another thing to come back to some other time. Uh, red. Yeah, you want, you want to talk about another bad color? Yeah, unfortunately. So red only seems to get two cards, uh, is what Shane, in Shane's estimation. I'll Not even really. These are these are super but, debatable. But I mean, these are two cards that I think are very cool, and one that I love, uh, Bedlam Reveler. It is making it now. That's a card that I wish was good enough to be playable now, but I don't know. I don't. It's going to be a. It's. It takes some doing to make that work, and it was always better in modern than it was in Pio anyway. And then collective defiance, which is an interesting card because it has that. Um, it has that. What am I trying? Windfall Synergy? style mode. Yeah. Oh, synergy with Narset. Discard and redraw. Yeah, it's got. Yeah, so it goes with Narset kind of. Yeah. Uh, you know, target, and that was a deck player that discards all their cards in their hand, then draws them any cards. It's Correct. Windfall. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought it's a so windfall effect. Win, well, wheel would be discard your hand and draw seven. Uh. Windfall is discard and redraw the same, I believe. Although someone's going to be mad at me on Reddit because I don't have that card exactly in front of me. 
But yeah, I mean, Stan, you had a lot of fun with an Is It Control deck that used Narset and Days Undoing and was starting to switch over to this card? Yes, yes. And uh, I mean, that deck doesn't see play since the Expressive Iteration ban, but now, you know, we have some more pieces to that. Maybe you can hobble something in a, a smaller format like Explorer. Yeah. With Because of those two cards specifically. Collective yeah. Defiance and Thing in the Ice. Shane, you want to talk green real quick? Sure. So we've got Eldritch Evolution. We've got Traverse the Uvenwald. We've got Vessel of Nascency, and these are all basically just part of Ops on Greasefang now. And that's it. Yeah. So we have three Greasefang cards. Yeah. Eldritch Evolution is a huge thing here, for sure. It's an important card in Pioneer. It's an important card that opens combo possibilities for a lot of different decks, creature-based combo, uh, especially into the future. Uh, is it in Ob's on Greasefang right yeah. now? Because the decks yeah. that did the best at the Pro Tour did not have Eldritch Evolution, for what it's worth. They did okay. have Traverse and Vessel. I do think these are... S- talking with Doom about it at the time after the Pro Tour, Eldritch is kind of like one branch, and I think Traverse is sort of like a different branch of Greasefang. Yep. I saw but, like a well-performing one that did have Eldritch. It was like maybe the, the one of the second or third like top placing Eldritch in the Swiss. But, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's just another piece of it that gives the option. So I think, yeah, it's not necessarily all in the same exact build of the same deck, but they're all part of the the potential package. But And they're super, they're powerful cards for the future as well. Stan, Um, Stan, talk about gold. Yeah. It's got got the card I equate most with you. Like, I think this is like, this is, this is Stan the card to me. And you're referring, of course, to Prized Amalgam. Yes, Prized yeah. Amalgam. Yes. Yeah. It's in some dredgeless dredge style things that don't seem to really exist in Pioneer anymore, but they might one day. I mean, I looked it and, up. And, and real like, dredge, it, in theory. It, it it took first. It took like first in like a, a Japanese tournament like just earlier this month. So it, it has legs. It just depends on, you know, if you want to walk with them. Yeah. Here's a card that uh, does not have legs, but I still really like, and that's Spell Queller. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have legs because it's non-corporeal. That's the right word to describe oh, it. Oh, yeah. I get it now. Here's the last one. Nahiri the Harbinger. Mm-hmm. Combo piece. You can cheat in Emrakul's, this new Emrakul card. You don't have to pay the mana. And then among the lands, like we got the bad land cycle of like foreboding ruins and choked estuary, but we also got two kind of interesting cards one is of course westvale abbey which you guys talked about with doom last week as like a nice mana sink when you have a bunch of cheap creatures but and, yeah. and the other one I'll, I'll mention here is gyre reach sanitarium yeah which is that legendary land two and tap two and tap each player draws a card then discards a card pairs with narset sometimes perfect sweet all right why don't we hop into something different here Let's let's talk about what. So you guys have been playing a bunch of uh, arena lately, as you've sure. been playing Pioneer as well. What's a bunch? How, how close? How, okay, I thought maybe you were both dipping dipping into it some. Yeah, I have been. Just a dip, like, just a toe. So right now, I'm in a tough spot where it's like I'm I'm not playing arena on my computer a lot, and I'm trying I'm sort of like trying to get back to it as like a phone game, and. What I did is after playing, after doing the Golgari episode with Doom, I was like, wait a second, this deck is basically on Arena. So I could be getting some reps in with this, uh, but not have to be playing Magic Online on my real computer. And so like, I went to Arena, and I 
bought like 40 packs with like gold I had to get like the necessary wilds I needed and more on the arena. I mean, more a little bit on the arena economy, I think later, but I got the wilds. I crafted up like the 16 rares I needed. Questionable choice to make Golgari sacrifice instead of something like you know, maybe tier one. But anyway, I just wanted to do it. So the, the, the status of the format is Shane has a hard time playing 35-minute best-of-three matches with a sacrifice deck on his phone, right? So what I've been doing more of is uh, playing (laughs) best-of-one mono-red just to get through my quests, but I have been trying to do some Golgari sack stuff as well. But what I'm seeing in the in the best of three and the, the and best of one is always the Wild West, right? Like people do way more linear, way more combo-y stuff. And best of three, you see kind of the classic stuff where it's like people doing Rakdos mid-range, people doing Azorius control, people doing like elves type strategies. Um, so it's like I'm seeing kind of what I would consider the explorer meta that I would expect. Um, Stan, have you been you've been playing some too? You've been seeing more best of one than best of three. Is that correct? Yes. Similar reason though. Like I'm I'm just playing on my phone on the tram to work. Sweet. And sometimes on the on the loo. Would you agree with me that the best of one meta is still a little bit weird? No. I mean, there's like a best of one meta that bears like a very vague mono blue spirits. Not so much mono blue. Actually, I I don't think I've ever seen mono blue, but it's like. Elves and Grease Fang are really popular. Angels is really popular. Oh, yeah, yeah. Angels and Clerics, like, people love those, like, life gain synergy decks. Yeah, and but even, like, Blue-White Control, I see a ton of. The, the decks that I see, don't see at all, is, like, any version of, is it Phoenix? But maybe there's, like, just no playable version of Phoenix and Explorer. I guess I see Mono Red quite a bit, too, for that matter. Is there a, is there a playable version of Phoenix in Pioneer, is the real question. I mean... It won the regional championship. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, Stan, I, I do want to, I want to let listeners know we just lost Dave. He had to drop his, his kids. You know, he, Sunday morning is a different time for us to record than usual. And sometimes kids get rowdy. Thankfully, I don't have any of those. So it's going to be you and me talking about arena, which is good because I don't think Dave has been smartly, perhaps has not been getting back into arena. So uh, let's 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 chat, my friend. You know, it's, I didn't get to record with you the last two weeks, and I missed seeing your face. So I'm glad we have this time together. Should, should we just scrap this arena talk and just catch up for the next time? Just the two of us. Yeah, um, I, anyway. and, and sorry. The the last one I want to mention is also Mono Green Devotion does actually also see like a little bit of best of one play. Yeah, and, and I, I have not. I have not seen Mono Green Devotion much yet. But like, I'm also like, I seriously am in bronze. Like I have not played in arena almost at all since October. So this has been a substantial shift somewhat in the metagame since then, or at least in terms of like where I am on the ladder. Like I'm in, you know, I'm bronze four. I like made silver last night because you literally cannot use, lose progress (laughs) by losing games, which is the best. It's the best. Makes you feel so good at magic. So I feel like when I'm playing it, I still feel like the meta is pretty narrow, right? Where there's mm-hmm. not a ton of decks, especially on like, you know, the legitimate ladder end of things. But once Shadows comes out, I'm somewhat more excited because I think there's more decks that people will have the ability to play. I think the big winners here are Grease Fang 
which gained the cards from like the Pro Tour builds, like Traverse, Vessel, Eldritch Evolution, that kind of stuff. Spirits, I think, is a big winner here. I mean, even just getting two cards like Selfless Spirit and Spellqueller, that's a big get. Like Spellqueller is just is a is a really big get. Uh, are you hyped for Spirits? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah I suspect it. I, I can't wait to to quell some spells. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, Dredgeless Dredge, kind of a thing. I mean, like I said, it randomly wins things. It is missing Gather the Pack from Magic Origins, which I think is kind of essential to it. So we'll see how mm-hmm. quickly that gets added, if ever. But you know, we're Phoenix. pretty close to to explore with Pioneer. Phoenix is also, I think, a really big winner. Like getting Thing in the Ice and Pieces of the Puzzle, like I think, are are pretty substantial gets. Like Thing in the Ice. You feel its absence in, in yeah. Phoenix decks that don't have it. And like it's that package of Phoenix plus Thing in the Ice with like the occasional Ledger Shredder is sort of like the threat package of of basically all successful Phoenix decks these days. And I think yeah. we're gonna start seeing like a version of that in Explore, the way we've seen like versions of other abridged pioneer decks now. My my issue with that and I'm I made a category I made three categories of pioneer to explore a status right now just to give everyone kind of a status update on this and i will be honest i put is it phoenix in the stuff you can't really play still because there's no treasure cruise mm. and i feel like i feel like treasure cruise is so essential to the success of this deck because you have to refill your hand and that's like the thing i think that powers is a phoenix in the format and it's not like the recursion of of arc light it's not the, the flipping up of the upheaval effect from thing. And I agree with you. Like, I think it will be a playable deck if you want to play that style of deck. I just don't think it might be into a, a truly decent best of three grinding the ladder winning tournament style deck, but that's fine. Like you don't have to play arena as like a, I'm testing for the pro tour. It can be something where yes. it's like, I'm playing a deck I think is fun on my phone. Yes. And that's perfectly fine. Like you can engage with arena in a lot of different ways. You can be completely free to play, you know, grind some gold, that kind of thing, do your dailies. But um, do you want to talk about like what I think the, the status of the Explorer is compared to a uh, pioneer? Yeah. I, I love your list. I think that could be cool. a good way to put a cap on this episode. Yeah. So uh, once shadow comes out, I, I took the top 15 decks on goldfish and here's what I have is like playable if not completely the same. Rakdos midrange, you don't have Dreadbore, you don't have Urborg, which are good cards. But I think there's like it's definitely playable because you see it a lot. So people people clearly like playing this deck. Uh, blue slash Azorius Spirits, Ops on Greasefang, Azorius Control, although you can't pivot to like the cat sideboard plan exactly, but I'm sure there are other creature-based aggressive sideboard plans that you can incorporate if you so desire dream trawler oh yeah always hate seeing that card uh gruel boats mono white humans Slesnia angels these are all just like decks that you can play right now fully pioneer built out stuff you can vaguely play mono green devotion you don't have oath of nissa which is kind of your big loss it does it, it impacts not only like your green pips but all and your card selection, but it also impacts like your weird side, uh, you know, excuse me, planeswalker plants where like you can't, you don't get the mana to cast like, you know, your nickel bolus and stuff like that as, as, as at all. Uh, five color fires, like enigmatic incarnation decks, you don't have chain to the rocks, but I think you can 
vaguely play that. Uh, I was talking with some of our Discord friends, and they were saying, "Yeah, it's like it's it's playable. I play it." And stuff your stuff you can't really play. Lotus Field, you don't have Thespian Stage, you don't have Behold the Beyond. You're not playing this deck. Uh, Indomitable Creativity, you don't, you don't have Xenagos, you don't have World Spide Worm. That is kind of essential. Is it Phoenix? Well, like, they have oh, other payoffs. Like they have like I mean, yeah. That is it God that like makes all the one ones that like combos with that thing that like lets you draw cards when a creature enters the battlefield. It, okay. It's clunky, but it wins on the spot. Oh, okay. Stanislav, if someone asks you if you're an Is it God, say yes. Uh Is it Phoenix, like I said, no delve spells to refill your hand. Omnath to light, there's no bring to light. Mm-hmm. Demir Control has no days undoing, has no dig through time. Those seem like big losses for the style of deck. I'm sure it is playable. I'm sure if you so desire, you can play a counter spell removal deck. I'm not going to do that, but people will. So this is pretty far from Pioneer still. I, I heard the stat that 95% of the cards on the Pro Tour are now legal in Explorer, and this kind of shows you what a difference 5% can make. Like just yeah. a few cards here and there is just like, yeah, these decks are not at all workable. Some of them, of course. And maybe that's okay. Like to your point, this doesn't need to be like the most competitive way to test your chops in Pioneer. And yeah. I think like we, we can still play it online on Moto. You can sort of yeah. like get a, a sample for it. I think that's maybe the, the best thing about it is like this gives arena players a taste of what Pioneer is sort of like. Yeah. So that they can maybe potentially graduate to like Paper Pioneer or Moto and Moto's formats in general. I mean, I would I would like to be able to like play more of the real Pioneer format, and I'm kind of disappointed with the pace that we are making towards Pioneer, but we're getting there. But I still feel like, you know, Explorer is not like a quote unquote real format, but like yeah. And any format you're playing is a real format, right? But it's a good way to get like reps in. It's a good way to play some events. It's a good way to keep earning your free gold and such to like keep your head above water as we do march towards Pioneer. And like I think that that's good. Like I think it's good to just be like, okay, I have a way to engage with magic that's perhaps more casual or perhaps I care a lot less about, or perhaps I'm playing like best of one on the tram or, you know, <laughs> in other ways that you might spend your day. So I think that that is, is fine. Like I, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's fun to like kind of, you know, get some Golgari reps in and mono red reps and that kind of stuff. But yeah, anyway, that's, that's our kind of arena check-in our check-in with Explorer. Um, I will say the golden packs are sweet. Like I mm-hmm. love the golden packs. That is like, I you, just can't believe, some. I can't believe Watsy gave us, Watsy gave us something for nothing. Took nothing away, only added to the economy. There's no no tricks. Can't so this it. is like when you purchase yes. ten booster packs, it like fills another wheel. But this is yes. the golden pack wheel, and I guess is it when you purchase ten packs, you get like just a free pack yeah. that's all yeah, every, rares. Every, and every ten, you don't have to buy like ten at a time. So it's like yeah, every yeah. ten you purchase, not earn, then you get a six card pack that has at at least one mythic. They are all standard legal. And the other cards have a chance to be mythic one in eight times. You hope you don't hit that <laughs> because rares yes. are better than mythics. But, uh, but they're all rares though, right? Like, yes, there's five not- rares, one mythic default. No wild yeah. cards, duplicate protection, 
all standard legal. So it's sweet. It's just free stuff. It is just mm-hmm. free rares and mythics. And yeah, it adds up a lot. Like I bought, you know, I bought 40 packs. I got 24 extra rares and mythics. Like I got like three copper line gorges and those and stuff like that. Like stuff I wanted, you know? Yeah. That's so a good anyway. point. Lands are, lands are good. Yeah. Free yeah stuff. I was kind of lamenting that that's just, that it's just standard cards. Cause like, I just want, I feel like I'm just going to want as many shadow rares as possible, but like, yeah, we have good lands now. Oh yeah. There's, there's, I want, I want like brotherhood's end, like the, those lands or whatever. No brother, brother's war, like lands. I want the lands from one. So yeah, it's, I'm fine with it. Anyway, Stanislav, we've had another episode. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. We'll maybe over the next couple of weeks, we can share if there's any other developments arena that we haven't mentioned or where diverges from pioneer, but until then, like a nice new tram game for now until I get sick of it again. So be it. Exactly. And that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. So you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dive down and check out our store over at the divedown.com slash store. Shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the dive down. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down 10, all one word, 10 is a number to get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards and get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using promo code THEDIVEDOWN2023 for 15% off your first order. And finally, save some money on paper cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming with code DIVE8 for 8% off your order from NRG. That's DIVE and the number 8. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week... Get out there and you shall not pass!